these guys, you have people who haven't had a good night's sleep in years. They go to bed, they wake up, and they're up for hours, and they have a hard time going back to sleep. Well, everyone, uh, welcome back to The Current, the uh, Toro University of California alumni podcast. Uh, I'm Bill, as always, uh, here hosting with you. Um, I have a really cool guest today because he has a couple of really cool backgrounds uh, that we want to talk about. Um, so, um, plus, I don't uh, I usually have to say Dr. So-and-so, but this time I get to say somebody's officer title uh it's captain keith jackson captain jackson thanks so much for joining the the show today you're very welcome i'm very excited to be here today yeah um so as i mentioned uh, you are captain jackson um so uh, and and a pa too um and the i, I don't know i don't know if they teach you this uh, part of the history or not um but the the military service is kind of how the PA profession got started. Is that right? Uh, that's correct. They were finding there was a lot of medics coming out of Vietnam, and because of their experience, uh, they had a lot of uh, potential talent that's, that that really translate to uh, the civilian certifications at the time. So um, a couple of doctors, I think, out of Duke, came up with a. a a way to figure out how to uh, utilize some of the skills they got during their time overseas, and that's pretty much how the PA profession started. Right. What um what what attracted you to to the physician assistant uh, program at Toro? Uh, um, what did you uh, maybe let me backtrack for a second. Mm-hmm. Was it uh, was it the service in the military or the service as a PA that started first in your head? Like this is what I want to do. <laughs> well, <clears throat> about halfway through, well, now it's been a little more halfway. About ten years after I joined the military, I became a medic. It was just um, I never really thought about medicine. Um, just where I was, they're like, "Well, there's a medical unit down the road. You want to go to do that?" I was like, "Sure." So they made me a medic, and then while I was in medic training, is I was like, I really, I really like this. I I want to do this, and in the military, uh, the medics are usually trained by PAs. You know, you have the doctors mm-hmm. at the hospitals, and a lot of times the doctors supervise the PAs, of course, and the PAs are out there at the battalion aid stations and doing a lot of the training for the medics. So after graduating from uh, medic school, I decided to go back to college to get my prerequisites. So I often get asked, and especially when I was getting my prerequisites, why not just go to medical school? Why not be a doctor? Um, you'll find a lot of medics in the military wants to be PAs because they also want to be part of training the next generation of medics um, and kind of being where the rubber meets the road. And that's why I decided I really wanted to be a PA. Right, right. Um the one of the things um, when I talk to other uh, PA alums, one of the things they like about the profession is uh, and, and very sort of military application um, <laughs> is that they can do a lot of different things that they can, um, you know, like an oncologist is pretty much just going to take care of cancer patients forever. 
Um, but they can decide to change, you know, and they can get sort of, uh, as you do in the military, you can get redeployed, I guess, um, and work in surgery or radiology or, or different things. Um, that's, you, you have a little bit of that in your job from what I understand, cause you, you, you do a couple of different things. Can you talk a little bit about what it is you do? Not on a daily basis, but like on a weekly basis. <laughs> yeah. So I am, um, so right now I am like the senior PA for a military police brigade. And, uh, besides my administrative and, and coaching, teaching duties, um, I do sick call whenever soldiers get sick, they come see me and I, and I try to help them out. And then a day a week, I work at the local air force clinic and family medicine. Uh, and a day a week, I also work at the local VA hospital and orthopedics. So I do a little bit of everything. It is one of the best, really, it's the main reason to be a PA over the, or a, over a physician is that ability to change, you know, what your specialty is or just say general practice. Right. It is, it is kind of changing though, because at the Air Force, um, with the Air Force, they do have a program to send PAs to get their doctorate at, oh, there's a, there's a college they go into Texas and um, you have to complete this doctorate program. Uh, it's a two year program. If you want to work in the emergency room or orthopedics in the air force, that's why we're working orthopedics in the VA and not in the military. They want you to complete this two year training uh, in order to practice uh, emergency medicine and orthopedics, which I'm not a big fan of. Um, Right. Having complete a, I guess, a doctorate slash residency program in order to practice that field. Because um, if we continue down this road where you have to do a PA residency so you can work this specialty, then there's not really a difference between physicians and PAs. There's not really a advantage over one or the other. Because there's plenty of advantages of being a doctor over a PA. But there's sure also, you know, you know, this is one of the advantages we have as a PA over being a physician. Right. Um, and you, uh, you were out at our, um, and when I say our, I mean Toro University's um, Veterans Day celebration, and you told a, a story, and, and I was hoping you could uh, sort of recount a little bit of that story. As a as an orthopedist in uh, for the VA hospital, speaking of uh the PA's roots in Vietnam. Uh, I'm sure you're probably seeing some people from that era that are just, um, just old now. <laughs> um, and yeah. so they have, uh, joint issues and, and sort of that sort of thing. But, um, I think Vietnam soldiers, uh, Marines and people like that, um, they're sort of classically known for having, <laughs> you know, the, um, post-traumatic stress type stuff that also goes along with being in a, a like a combat setting. Um, and you were, you were telling a little bit about how the like mental health and physical health are a little bit connected and you deal with that in a little bit of an indirect way. Could you, could you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I was telling a little story about uh, a couple months ago, I was working with this orthopedic surgeon at the VA and he's, he asked me if this is orthopedics is what I want to do. You know, maybe, full time later on. And I was like, and I told him I either want to do either orthopedics or psychiatry. And he's like, well, that's two way different uh, <laughs> fields. And I was like, yeah, they are, but 
And I said, well, those are the two things I see the most in the military. And, um, and what I, what I find dealing with soldiers in particular that, that are a lot more connected than a lot of people think. Cause a lot of times I'll have soldiers come in and they're complaining about a knee pain, a neck pain, a shoulder pain, whatever it is. And we start talking about it and find out that they've been, they've been having this joint pain for years. And, uh, you know, and it's a short amount of time, you know, Hey, I went running, you know, and I tweaked it. Okay. Hey, you know, what? here, take it easy. Take some ibuprofen, maybe physical therapy. And usually those things get better in a few weeks because at a certain point, at a certain age, all of us are going to have joint problems. We're all right. going to have, you know, meniscus tears or whatever the case may be. I mean, if I did an MRI on a regular 45 year old, I expect to see, problems in the joint would be unusual is to see a perfectly good joint like like you're 17 but just because you have problems in your joint doesn't mean it's always going to be painful because most of us the majority of us walk around with these labral tears or meniscus tears who are over a certain age without any pain but then you have others who have you know pain for three four or five years now it could be that if it's bad enough but a lot of times you start talking to them you're like well how's your sleep you find out they sleep, their sleep is terrible. And then you start asking a few more questions. How's your cognitive abilities? Are you forgetting things? They're like, yeah, I forget things all the time. I think, I think I'm going through, I had this conversation with a soldier just a couple hours ago. I thought I was going through early dementia. Uh, how's your things with your families? Do you get, do you get short with them? Are you snippy? They're like, yeah, all the time. So you find out that, that they're having a lot of mental health issues and, uh, so I have to have my conversation with them and the conversation goes is that you find out it starts with sleep. It all starts right. with sleep. I think everything revolves around proper sleep because as we uh, go throughout our day, we get a lot of inflammation and when we go to sleep, our body starts to heal, you know, rest or digest, right? Or fight or flight. So during that rest or digest, that swelling should be reabsorbed. And this is just, you know, what I've seen, hmm. but, you have these guys, you have people who haven't had a good night's sleep in years. Right. They go to bed, they wake up, and they're up for hours, and they have a hard time going back to sleep. It's been like six, seven, eight years before they had a good night's sleep. And so that inflammation continues to build up. And then they wake up, not refreshed, and their body and they're already, you know, they're already achy, you know, and they right. continue on with their day and they do this day in, day out. Um so yes, sometimes it's physical, but a lot of times we can try to, we could try to, um, help the physical part. There's things we can do, you know, like I said, rest, ibuprofen shots, maybe even surgery, hopefully not. But you know, if we can take care of the physical, but if you're not taking care of the mental, your, your ability to heal and recover from whatever we do, is going to be uh, greatly diminished and you're going to have a hard time recovering. A lot of times once you get them to get the mental health therapy they need, get them the ability to relax. Cause a lot of people just don't know how to relax. It's not about right. having more time off. It's about quality time off. And once they learn to relax a little bit, uh, not like, you know, I have, I have, te- I have a day off. I got to go build a fence and I got to do this all around the house. And there's no right. lot of people are like this too. If they can just relax and, and yeah, they'll find that a lot of their joint pains will go away. Their headaches will go away. Their migraines they get all the time will go away or at least be manageable where it's not, not bothering you so much. Um, but that's, I see this almost daily. 
Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of amazing. Um, my my dad is a Vietnam era um, sailor, um, and you know I have a few Vietnam vet uncles and stuff like that. And um, one of the things, as you're talking, it, it made me just sort of um, think about the how things have changed over the years because I'm sure there's a lot of people now that just um. They just go seek mental health <laughs> care. Um, but people in that generation, you know, are, are more of, uh, you know, ah, they're supposed to be tough. And, you know, plus they're they're in the military, so they already have that mindset of, like, you know, you have to overcome obstacles and all that sort of stuff. Um, is is that do – you, do you see that switch a little bit more with some of these older patients where it's like, you know, oh, it doesn't mean you're not manly or whatever or that you're not tough or whatever that – you're just fixing a thing, like you're fixing your knee, you know, like you go talk yes. to somebody. Yeah. And sometimes it's like, it's like a light switch that goes off right. on these guys. Uh, it has, even the 25 years I've been in, there has been changes about, you know, the stigma when it comes to mental health. Right. Um, it's still there. It's definitely still there. So the two problems with mental health in the military is one is that stigma. You're right. You know, just suck it up. Uh, this is going to make you, you know, tougher, whatever. And the other one is a lot of times uh, soldiers are really bad at identifying the symptoms of mental health, depression, mm-hmm. anxiety. They think anxiety, and sometimes it is this. Sometimes somebody slams a car door and you're like, oh, and you're, you're hitting the floor. But right. anxiety doesn't always present that way. Anxiety can just be thoughts in your head that keeps going and going and going. It's not about being scared. You know, people think anxiety goes scared. It's not. Not always, not in everybody, mm-hmm. and especially in soldiers. And then also people think depression is, you know, it's raining right now, but it's like, you know, thing looking outside of a rainy window, all depressed with a cup of hot cocoa. Right. And it's, it's not that. It's, and that sounds pretty nice, actually. No. <laughs> it does sound pretty nice. But a lot of times it's it's that anger, that snappiness. Right, sometimes right. Have, you know, um, uh, where you're just snappy with your family or you have that occasional blow up for over little things, road rage. Those are signs of depression in a lot of people. It's not necessary sadness. So, uh, especially with the older ones, and let's be honest, sometimes our older, the older generations, I feel a lot of times are just tougher. But once they make that link into like um, this mental health thing, is not a sign of weakness. It's a sometimes it's a even though it's mental, it's also physical. Like the chemicals in our brains, and they understand that. There is something right, miswired right, right. because of their traumatic uh, experiences. And they also realize that, you know, that um, it's, it's more mechanical in nature. If you can, if it's not like mystical, it's mechanical in some ways. And that by doing something about it will help them become, well, for the active duty guys, better soldiers because their cognitive will get better. They'll start remembering things again. Or they'll make them better family members, you know? And I've seen a switch where they go like, no, and you know, honestly, I did it too. No, I don't need it. No idea. It's like, okay, I'm going to take this seriously because um, because sometimes they don't do this until they really got into a dark place. That makes any sense? Right, no, and, for sure. And sometimes they get very motivated because they don't ever want to go back to that dark place where 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 um where that where they couldn't sometimes they don't do anything until they go okay you know what 
I'm depressed. This is, this is not normal for me. They find themselves, you know, in a corner crying or whatever, whatever it is. And they're like, you know, I need to do something about it. I am not going back. I'm taking this seriously. And they'll switch it. Uh, and they'll take their, they'll go to the group therapies and they'll see the therapists. But that's not all the time. Sometimes they'll, what usually happens though, they'll take it seriously for a while. And then, you know, things will actually get better. They'll start mm-hmm. feeling better. Some of their pains will go away. And then they'll stop taking their medications or stop going to therapy. And then, you know, they go, they, they start slowly sliding back into depression. And, right. um, you know, hopefully they come back and seek treatment once again. Yeah, I I was going to say, uh, leading into this next question is uh, sort of related to that. But um, I was going to say, it, it's also not just... Um, you know, I, I think from movies and everything like that, um, we get this oh, sorry, idea yeah. that, um, you know, soldiers and so forth get into this kind of state because they've been somewhere where it's like gunshots and bombs and, you know, buildings falling over and fire, and, you know, like this major stuff like that. Um, but sometimes it can just be, uh, that's the nature of the job uh, of being in the military is it's difficult sometimes that you're deployed you're away from your family, you miss Christmas or like things like little things like that, that just pile up on you. Or, um, like I have a, a cousin that used to serve on a submarine. So he'd be deployed for three or four months and not see the sun because they're under the ocean, for, you know, 90 days at a time or whatever. Um, I think it's just kind of the, the nature of the job that can also cause that. It doesn't have to be this major, you know, Vietnam film thing that's happening where people are just jumping up from, you know, rice paddies or whatever and taking shots at you. Um, and, and so that leads me to my next question is, um, what, what is it in your sort of opinion? What, what makes military people like unique patients? Well, there's a couple of things. We do have a higher, I think we will have like, like we talked about, probably a little bit higher incidence rates of PTSD, you know, mm. uh, based of, you're right, the ones of us who's deployed and other traumas that we received just for training or being away. Um, it's really hard to say because a lot of us, I see that a lot. In fact, that happened to me. Like, I've seen very little. I've been on two tours, and I've never shot my weapon at anybody. Had some incoming, yes, but most of my, most of my, uh, I guess, trauma would be from the casualties were coming in and mm-hmm. but for a long time i would deny um me having any problems because i was like i never even shot anybody in fact those two tours i've never even seen i mean i've seen plenty of deceased people but those two tours i didn't because i was in the hospital <laughs> if somebody died they didn't go inside the hospital they went to the morgue so everybody who came into the hospital were alive and luckily enough in our hospital everybody you know we put them back on the bird to go to the next level and they all left alive. So I was mm-hmm. lucky in that, but I denied, I denied it for a long time because I never even saw a dead person. So, um, but so we do have a higher tendency. I think we do have a higher tendency of, of things like PTSD. And it doesn't help the fact that we do not like to acknowledge that. And right. it just makes it worse. Then we also do have, we do have a higher uh, bouts of 
of um i think you know joint problems especially back problems um mm -hmm. and a lot of a lot of women in the military have a lot of hip problems because of the gear that they have to wear they have to pretty much wear just as much as the men do but a lot of the equipment are designed for men and not not so much designed for um they're trying to change it where they come up with um, gear that's more designed for the women's shape so it doesn't have to sit on the hips so much so right. we do have a lot we do have more joint problems but um and then because of sometimes that ptsd we do have we see i see obviously i see this in the va um problems alcoholism and right. homelessness and you know things like that um we do so like at the va it's a secondary payout right so usually if you have a good insurance you're going to use them instead of the va and even if you use the va they i think they also bill your primary insurance so a lot of times at the va we have people who we get the va we get the veterans who don't have insurance and a lot of them are the homeless population so it's really right, right. great that the homeless veterans still have a place to go to get their care but you know there is a lot of um substance abuse with that population so we see a lot of that as well so i think yeah. substance abuse some musculoskeletal for sure especially uh um, like i said uh, i've seen a lot of hip problems in in our women service members and um and a lot of mental health problems uh in the military yeah um not that i i don't want to make it seem like it's awful um <laughs> because i think it can be a, a very rewarding choice for a lot of people um, so I wanted to, I want to leave on a somewhat positive note. Um, one of the things that, that sort of draws, um, RPA students and, um, you know, the other, the students from the other programs, uh, pharmacy school and, uh, medical school, uh, the osteopathic medical school, um, <clears throat> is the, um, the lure of not having a huge amount of debt afterwards and the, yeah. the military can help with that. Can you sort of talk a little bit about, um, the benefits of, uh, because I, I, I thought you said, uh, you, you were in the military first and then became a PA. Is that correct? Yes. I was in the military for quite a while, to be honest, before yeah. I joined the military. So I, um, and, and the thing is overall, I love the military. I mean, if, if I didn't love it, I still want to be here. I'm past 20 years. So I could definitely retire anytime. I'd continue to do it because I love it. And, and if it wasn't for the military, I would never have been a PA. I'll be honest right. because, um, you know, when I was a medic, the PAs, you know, they recognize something in me that helped me get into PA school. But some mm -hmm. of the benefits, of course, there's benefits. Uh, it's different for each, uh, discipline. Uh, sometimes the physicians have different ones in PAs. Uh, a lot of times they'll pay for your school. And when you pay for your school, they expect uh, a few years of service. Um, afterwards. Now, if they didn't pay for a school, then it comes with bonuses mm -hmm. uh, based on your discipline. So an orthopedic surgeon will have a different one than a PA, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, for National Guard uh, right now, a PA, even a reserve PA who spends a week and a month and two weeks a year gets a 25 grand a year bonus for, for, for that short amount of time. So that's not bad. Or you can get a 25 grand a year student loan repayment, um, for that week and a month, two weeks a year. Um, so, and then I know when I was in school, of course, when you get out, you get the, uh, you can get the GI bill. And for halfway through when I was at Toro university, 
I got a voc rehab, vocational rehab from the v, uh, from the VA, which paid for my tuition and a little bit of my living expenses. Uh, there are a lot of different programs to help pay um, for the military, and I know that's why a lot of people do it. And uh, I'm glad the military offers that. Yeah, I I, um, I sometimes find it funny because people will be like, "Yeah, but then you have to be in the service for you know how many ever years," and I'm like. Yeah, just treating patients though. It's not like you're, you know, driving tanks or whatever. You're st- you're just doing the thing that you trained to do. <laughs> and that's why I'm sticking around, even though I'm in my mid forties now. It's like I'm not doing that stuff anymore. I can I can continue doing this as for as long as I like. Um, I've known other some people do it too because sometimes in certain um, specialties, because I guess they go through the physicians, they go through a military. Uh, oh, what's that word where they go find their uh, specialty? Right. Um, On their uh, rotations? A, well, yeah. Or they, oh, yeah. their residency? Yeah, apply for the residency. Right. There's a military one. And sometimes mm. they feel that sometimes the military will give, give them to the specialty they want. I've also known people who joined the Navy and they became a physician in the Navy. And they became a um, just a general provider. Because in the Navy, you could practice medicine without going through a residency. Hmm. And so they were practicing medicine. And that's and then they spent their time. They paid off their Navy paying them for medical school. They paid off their time in the Navy. And when they left the Navy, they still haven't gone through a residency. And I know this orthopedic surgeon who did that. And he applied for residency after he got done with the Navy. And he got to go to orthopedics at UCSF. Now, I'm assuming those two or three years he spent as a general practitioner in the Navy probably really helped his application so he could right. become an orthopedic surgeon. Yeah. yeah. Plus, uh, one of the best benefits is the free hamburger at Red Robin uh, uh, during Veterans Day. That's that's nothing to sneeze at. Uh, that's, uh, yeah. Those are some good burgers, I gotta tell you. Um, and yeah. bottomless fries. Um, so <laughs> I have tried that, but I do get the, I do use my 10% off at Lowe's and Home Depot. That's yeah, cool. yeah, there, yeah. There's a lot of other perks. Uh, uh, my uh, yeah, my my dad uses his uh, privileges whenever he gets a chance. Um, so it's and it's well earned. I ha- I must say. Um, well, I know we've got a lot of uh, a lot of veterans who are alumni. Uh, we've got a veteran who's our PA program director, Joy Moverly. Um, so I uh, I just want to take this opportunity to thank everybody for. Uh, their sacrifice. Uh, I know a lot of people are a little iffy about service. They, they don't like to be thanked for their service all the time, but, um, but it is a sacrifice no matter what you're doing. Um, the military members and their families definitely appreciate everything you're doing. Um, we also definitely love our PA alumni doing great things out in the community, uh, for our veterans and just our regular everyday citizens um it's been a great great pleasure having uh captain jackson keith jackson uh as our guest today um and i just want to thank everyone for checking us out one more time and until next time we'll see you guys all on the curve